Nothing is more magical than closing a six-figure deal. Hi, this is Daniel Laxtons, and welcome to another Roofing Business Builder podcast. I am a 30-year veteran in the commercial roofing industry, and I'm here to help you uh, to grow your business into the multi-millions. Now with me today, I have Leah Laxtons as a co-host. We're going to talk about closing magic. Closing is a very popular topic amongst roofers. Your um, most popular podcast to date. Yeah. And so <laughs> we thought we'd go into some more closing uh, techniques, uh, helping you, the roofer, feel comfortable with closing and maybe cut out some of those things, those mistakes that we make, uh, those things that we say that would really slow down that process. So uh, we're going to talk uh, on several subjects, but what should we talk about first, Leah? Well, I think a good close always starts with your mentality. We've seen some really awesome closes, both that we were we closed ourselves or we were there assisting the close. And I think one of the most magical ones that I remember was uh, Six Flags. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing account that we closed. And before we went in, the contractor was like, wait. Let's get in the right mindset here. Mm -hmm. And we had this sort of like moment where we just visualized that it was going to close. And it was like when we walked in, we knew it already. And, And you could feel that energy in the room that it was done. It was over. It was like we're saving them so much money and they're getting something really special here. You know, basically, you're welcome <laughs> was essentially the way it, it was. So your mentality is so key in this. It's everything. As a matter of fact, so, you know, a lot of times uh, a roof feels comfortable selling a residential person because you feel like, well, you know, I own a residence. Uh, I have something in common with this person. But then we become intimidated before we walk through that front door because we're thinking to ourselves, oh, my goodness, this guy must be a multimillionaire. What do I have in common with the multimillionaire? The thing is, is if you are closing with someone that has millions of dollars, one thing you have to realize is they're just like you. And you also have to keep in mind, too, that this person has a need. So who cares how much money they make? Who cares if they're on their yacht? <laughs> as a matter of fact, actually, that's kind of fun if they're on their yacht. <laughs> but just visualize yourself as a person that owns a yacht before you walk in there. Just feel like a millionaire yourself. Feel like the person, as you're walking in there, feel like that they're going to like you, that they're going to understand that you're going to find common ground. There's certain things. I mean, if they have a dog and you have a dog, there's common ground. So that the point is, is you have to prepare yourself mentally when you're walking in to that office to feel comfortable, feel comfortable, feel like this person needs me. We have to just calm ourselves. So another technique that you can use is just relax. As soon as you are walking in, think about your back and how it feels, your neck. And if it feels all tense, relax it. And what happens, there's some psychological books out there that say that if you recognize that you have your muscles are all tense and you relax them, it'll actually calm your mind down when you're walking in there. But here's the thing, though, is some of these people that we're talking to, we may think that they're the owners or something, but what's sometimes the case we find? Many times the owner's not managing their own maintenance. So, you know, they're most likely not the owner. And regardless, 
you know, no one buys a commercial building without knowledge of the cost of maintenance, or I should say very few people. So they <laughs> well, do. A, new, a newcomer, say someone just got in the business. Sure. Uh, we've ran into it a few times where sure, the person's very like, rarely. are you serious? This is how much they cost. <laughs> True, but very rarely. So yeah. generally, they're going to have a budget for that roof. And if they're calling you, they already know that there's going to be a large expenditure that's going to happen. And if they need you, I mean... Why would you allow yourself to feel that way when someone really needs your services? Okay, so uh, self-talk we talked about. Is there anything else that we could help them out with? So what about identifying the decision maker? You know, this is a big one because the decision maker generally is not going to be the person that calls you to schedule you to come out and look at the roof. It's usually an administrative person. You know, sometimes it's the decision maker. But you want to really identify if the person on the phone that first connect or when you get there and meet the person, if they're the one making this final decision. And like you said, if it's an executive assistant, uh, we... We can ask them in such a way where we don't make them feel embarrassed. We want to make that person feel really good about us walking in through that door. So it'd be good to first ask that ahead of time, possibly. Uh, what can they say so that way it doesn't make that person feel bad if they're not the true decision maker? A great way to word it is, so are you the only decision maker? Are you the only one making the decision on this project? Or is there a board involved as well? And that way you really, you're not saying, so are you the decision maker or not? You know, you're wording it in such a way where they're going to let you know, you know, yeah, I am. Or no, there's this many people involved. I'm setting this meeting up for my boss or what have you. And then you can inform her or him to actually uh, mention to the boss if it's possible that they could bring all the decision makers into that room. Because we've done this several times where we were doing the close and then come to find out, the guy says, well, I'll take this back to the board. Right. Well, then, you know, those jobs uh, rarely panned out. But if we were, the times that we were actually brought before the board, you know, once we asked these questions, we'd be brought before everyone and do the presentation for all the decision makers. And then we close right then and there. Absolutely. And another great question is, is this in your budget for this year or next year? And when does your fiscal year end? Because not everyone's tax year, fiscal year ends on December 31st. Mm-hmm. U.S. government, September 30th, you know, so. We're talking about military contracts. They, yeah. So they're going to end. Sometimes you get in the, the, the end, like August, September. We're already hitting October uh, during this recording. But, but the truth is, is that last, like August, it's almost too late, but July is really good time to make sure you close on a military contract. I remember one time with our roofing business, um, it was a rush. They wanted he he the commander of the base wanted us to get that that project done right away, and I was asking him why, and it's because that he had to close out his books, and so it, actually it's an advantage. So you know next year in August, guys. Yeah. And and this works for, you know, large private held companies as well. This kid, their physical year could be on at a different time. And the biggest thing is this just kind of gives you an idea of their time frame. You know, if it's like, oh, yeah, we're trying to budget it for next year. Well, you know, you need to add a little extra percentage to compensate for the cost, you know, going up and things like that. You get a better idea how serious they are and what the time frame is on the project. Absolutely. So what other things that, uh, should we identify you really want to identify what their concerns are as much as possible because that way you can tailor your proposal 
to match those concerns. So, are you saying you, that that we're not supposed to talk the whole time and tell <laughs> tell them how wonderful we are? <laughs> Absolutely. The more they talk, the better. Yeah. Of course, uh, and the more questions you ask, the better. So, and why do we want to ask those questions? To really get to the bottom of what they need so that at the end, the close is much simpler. Right, because when you're showing them the proposal of everything, you're addressing all those concerns because of the homework that you did ahead of time. Absolutely. So what do you dislike about your roof right now? And they're like, well, it's leaking. Okay, well, you know, are you interested in saving money on your electric bill? Not really. Um, okay, <laughs> what, what's can, you know, do you want a roof where you'll never have to have uh, a maintenance issue? Or like, is the manufacturer's warranty more important to them? Or is it your... Are you selling this building within the next eight years? Are you selling the building? Then price is probably the most important thing. So this all gives you insight into how, how to frame that proposal at the end. You want to understand as much as you possibly can about why they called you and what they're really looking for in this product. Boy, I tell you, this, this sounds a lot like dating. <laughs> a lot of young people, if you're listening to this, you're not married. This is also something important. You want to listen to the person that you're dating. Or before you date them, you have to ask them questions. <laughs> so true. But it's true. And the reason why I say that is when it comes to a magical close, it's all about the relationship. It's their relationship to you. So you want them to really like you. And remember, when you're walking up to that door, you're telling yourself, they're going to like me. They're going to like me. And that, that puts you in a positive frame of mind. So when you start to ask these questions, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable. How about the proposal itself? How does that guide the close? Well, and I know if, if a lot of people out there that have, have been listening to our podcast, they know how we feel about uh, the proposal. You don't, uh, you don't just um, mail in or back in the day fax it in or email a proposal. Um, if there's some adjustments, you can do that. But when it comes to uh, the proposal, you want to put together something that matches the value of the price of that roof. So if you're going to be charging someone 200000 or 700000 or $1.2 million, you want to give them a book. When, when an architect designs a school, they have that gigantic manual, and that gives confidence to the owners of that building. And so when you walk in with a one-page proposal, no, that's not going to work. We've gotten calls with our agency several times of them saying that, well, the roofer that you recommended uh, showed up with just one page, and I don't feel comfortable with someone like that. So you want to build a book. Uh, you want The questions that we asked uh, during the interview of that customer uh, finding what their concerns were. They're, they're concerned about the pipes. You took pictures of the pipes, and then you're going to show them pictures of what the pipes will look like afterward. You took pictures of their curbs that were leaking, and then you're showing pictures of what a finished curb is going to look like with that product. And then you go through and you address all of their concerns. Then if they were concerned about the warranty, you know, how long is this going to last? Well, uh, you know, you told them it's going to last until the day they retire. <laughs> well, now you have proof. You show them the warranty and then you go through the value of the warranty. And so while you're flipping through this proposal book, you're building value in your company, value in the product that you're going to be offering. And then that person's going to feel much more comfortable. And by the time you get to the end of the book, that's where your, your, your uh, endorsement spots may be. 
or sometimes we put yeah. it on the front of the book. Make sure you have the contract as part of this proposal, right? <laughs> We've been there before, but and you know, I think having a clear scope of work is really important, but not overly binding. You know, like you want to say cover board quarter inch half inch cover board but you don't want to say like a brand name because then you're kind of locking yourself into a scenario where if there's a supply chain issue you can't get your favorite brand you know you don't want to be in that spot where the whole roof is being held up over something as small as just the brand of a certain product so but but at the same time you want to be really clear on the scope of work so that when your competitor hands in that one page bid that just says re-roof they're <laughs> like well with what cover board with what insulation what kind of r value like they are triggered all these questions that were in your scope of work so this other guy you know is basically already looking like he's not the expert he's not in the white coat because he just threw out a random word and a random number so Again, all about building value in your company and your expertise. Absolutely. And that the whole thing there with showing them all of these uh, scopes of work. And that's a really good point that you made is that when you're writing that scope of work, you want to have specifics in there that you're going to give them this much insulation. We're going to use this, uh, use a JIP recovery board or we're going to use um, a fan fold or whatever it is. Uh, but don't get too specific because of that. So that's that's really good advice. And when it comes to references, make sure they're relevant to that project. See a lot of people just kind of pull out the same references that they've had forever. And what works a lot better is it's a shopping center, you show them shopping centers you've done. If it's a restaurant, you show them restaurants. So mm-hmm. be niche Don't show oriented. them a house. <laughs> Here's yeah. a reference, uh, John Smith's home. <laughs> Here's your proposal in a folder with a giant shingle roof on it. Like be niche oriented even when it comes to inside of the proposal so you don't leave any question that you're the expert within that niche and hopefully if you've been listening to our program uh, that you've already found a niche that is specific uh, to your skill set and so you should be focusing on that niche now let's talk more about the magical things such as the clothes the magical clothes now guys i have to share this with you the hard clothes is dead. You see, that's called fake scarcity. You know, and you listen to these commercials, if you don't do it right now, then you won't get this discount. You know, you only have five minutes to call right now. And I mean, do you guys ever call that number? I mean, if someone's saying those things, see that it does work maybe for certain types of people. Uh, but I tell you, if you're selling very expensive projects, Um, those people are so intellectual, they'll sniff right through that. So don't use that because it it actually reduces the confidence they have in you. And so it's, it's better uh, to develop that relationship where, where they can feel like they trust you, uh, because you're not trying to hard close them. Now, having said that, we still have techniques that we can use though, right Leah? Yeah, absolutely. Relationship building works 100% of the time. If it's not right now that you get the job and it's later, either way, or you build value, collaborate in another way, if you build a relationship, you will always get something. Uh, Fake scarcity, many times you get nothing. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, you drive away that, that customer for life. So the assumptive close, assuming the sale, not creating fake scarcity, but you're making them feel comfortable with the decision and leading them to 
the ultimate answer that you want, which is their signature on that agreement, their endorsement on the agreement. So what are, how are some ways that you can do the assumptive sale? Well, it, again, it goes with the questions um, that we've already been asking them over and over. And, uh, you know, before we even get into this, we should say that when you when you're preparing that proposal, you, you're not having this meeting that we've been talking about, like sitting down and we're talking to them about those needs now. Um, but when you, you're uh, going to close, you don't try to close that day. You're going to go home and do all that homework, prepare that book, and then you're going to call them up. And then you, that's when we you ask, are you the person, uh, the only person that will make the decision on this? And then make sure that when you go in there, that every person that is going to be able to make a decision on that is in the room. And so, so that when we're assuming the sale, we use questions like, um, you know, how soon do you need this project done? You know, what time, time frame are, are you looking at? You can ask questions like, um, you know, our, uh, our company can set up dumpsters on the south side of the building. Is that, a, is that going to be a good place to set those up? And what happens is as soon as you ask a question like that, the response that you get is going to tell you how warm how cold or how hot they are for this. But there's other questions too. What other questions could we ask them? Yeah, even better than how soon would you like to get started? You can say, I have an opening next week or in six weeks. What works better for you? Yeah. Uh, and always avoid yes or no questions. Don't ever ask it's, a yes or no question. <laughs> yeah, because you want <laughs> the more they talk, the more comfortable they feel, and the more you know. So you want to keep drawing them out even through the very end of this process. They have the proposal in their hand. You still want to get what do they need so that you can fill that demand. Yeah, and, and the truth is, is you can ask yes or no questions that are going to be a positive yes. True. You know, in sales, you'll you'll hear people always sit there, and, and sometimes it's annoying because you know if you're a good salesperson, I can see right through that. I mean, you can't. I, you guys listening, you know, you can see through that when someone sits there and um, obviously says that, and then this would this is what you'd want, yes. Yes, it is. Then, so they they have this idea that you're programming this person on the other side of the table, the decision the old maker. Used car sales, yeah, right. And don't be that. You can't be a a used car salesman. I mean, you can, but you're not going to have a longevity success. Um, story. Those techniques work very well on the residential side, obviously, because you're dealing with the residential and the same sort of uh, contract price, right? Mm -hmm. Like a car is 20 grand, a roof is 20 grand in residential. So these things work very well within that area. But when you get into commercial where you're dealing with 100, 500, a million dollar contracts, they want the relationship and a leading yes questioning like that they're just it's, I guarantee you they don't even get that at their car dealership because yeah. they're paying in cash or they're ordering from Vroom or they're going to some other way to order their assistants buying the car for them like they're not dealing with no, that no, so no and they'll sniff right through that so you do not want to ever use those kind of techniques but you can ask a few yeses I mean you know it's not going to hurt to to sit there if it's and say organic. if it's organic, uh, but be really careful when using that because uh, they'll sniff right through it. Uh, because, I mean, no one, no one with that level of intellect is going to be dealing with that much money. Yeah, absolutely. And then you really have to ask for the sale. Some this is where sometimes we see, you know, people kind of 
start to lose their focus at the end. Again, we talked about having the contract with you and handing it to them at the end. Like sometimes people will go through the whole proposal process and they don't even have the contract there. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, you want to ask for it at the end. It's like, are you ready to get started? Or, you know, that's, that's yes a yes or no. Or no. <laughs> what concerns are stopping you from getting started yeah. today? None? And then, and okay. The, and here's here's a, and, the, and by the way, and that's a good question, too, because, it, it, you know, there's instruments. Um, wouldn't you love to know that your customer has, you know, when you're driving on the road and you, you have your instruments on the car, you, you can see how much fuel you have. You can see what your RPMs are. You can see the pressure of the engine. Well, this asking questions is a way of using instruments to see where that customer is. So when you're asking a question uh, like, um, what's, uh, you know, what would keep you, you know, first you may have already asked when they, as soon as they say that, well, you know what? Um, I think six weeks from now will work out best for us. Say, okay, I'll put you down. Uh, all I need is uh, your endorsement here on the agreement. Don't say contract, say agreement. And then you say, um, um, and then you say that, you know, and if you could make out the, uh, the check for, you know, the down payment. And so, you know, right then, once they say that, once you hear them say that, oh, yeah, you can go ahead and uh, put the dumpsters on the south side. Or no, I prefer you to put them on the north side. Then you know you have the contract. So then you can move forward to asking that question. But if they say, if they they seem lukewarm or standoffish at those points, that's when you introduce this question, which is, uh, what's stopping you, you know, from wanting to get started, you know, today? And you hit on a great point about the wording. Again, it goes with your overall body language, the way that you feel. You want this to be warm and inviting. You want this process to be the opposite of buying a car or a used yeah. car. So, you know, can I get your endorsement on the agreement? That's so much better than can I get your signature on the contract? That sounds like a binding thing that's scary. Agreement sounds awesome. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we agree. Let's do it. Endorsement sounds easy. Like, yeah, sure, I can endorse that check for you. So always watch your wording and make sure that you're making them feel comfortable, even in those, you know, even in the unconscious terms in their mind, the subconscious that you're making their subconscious at ease as well. Yeah. And if they act standoffish, when you ask for the endorsement, go back to that other question, what, what concerns uh, do you have? And they'll tell you. And then once they tell you those concerns, what do we do? Well, we turn back in the book and we address those concerns and build value, build value in your company, build value in the product that you're putting on and then re-ask the questions again, you know, uh, try to, you ask for that endorsement again. But, but that's what happens is once they see that there's enough value in what you're giving, that's usually, it's an easy close. Once they like you, once they trust you. But before that happens, when you're walking up to that building, if you have not even met that person, visualize that they're going to like you, that they're going to want your products and your service and, and that you're going to get a deal that day. The more you do this, it'll blow your mind. It really will increase your sales. And if not uh, increase your sales, it's going to keep you in the right frame of mind so that you're always happy. And, you know, just because this person says no, who cares? You're going to go down the road and you're going to find someone else that's going to say yes. And if you focus on making relationships instead of 
closing every deal, then you're always a winner because you're going to walk out with a friend that may refer you somewhere else, even if you don't get the project. Absolutely. And also practice this daily until it becomes natural. The focus, like you were saying, on your past wins is really, it's empirical data. Like focus on all the jobs you've closed. And what, even if that's in residential and you haven't moved into commercial yet, you can use those wins to really increase your confidence so that when you walk in the door, you, they see somebody who knows what they're talking about and is going to add value to yes. their, them and their, their building. So basically when the subconscious, when your subconscious mind starts to say, if you're in that way where you're like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to work out today or whatever. And then your subconscious mind, you hear that voice in your head saying, Oh, we're not going to get this job. And then what you're saying though is use the phrase empirical data subconscious. We already have gotten jobs. We've done this before. We know what we're doing and then get your confidence back up. I like that. That's really good. So now it's time for. Did you you know, know, Leah, that we have something special coming up next month? Yes, I did. On October 15th, it's two weeks away, we're putting together a free webinar for roofing contractors. And it's all about the hottest markets of the fourth quarter. We know it's been a very interesting year, uh, challenging year for many people. So we want to get everyone on the right track with the three hottest markets of the fourth quarter, not just what those markets are, why we think they're the hottest, but also who the key decision makers and players are within those markets that commercial roofing contractors can a target today and it's going to be completely free sign up through zoom the link is at roofingbusinessbuilder.com or in the instagram profile yes and the first uh 10 that sign up within the next five minutes <laughs> you will get, get it, it free you'll also get it free yes <laughs> you get a 100 percent discount on the free price guys this webinar is going to be awesome uh we're going to have some guests and and um I know a lot of the ones that are listening to this podcast uh, are friends of ours that we know. We've, we've, um, some of you are our customers from the past. Uh, most of you are our friends. Some of you are best friends. And so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we miss you guys and we really are looking forward to, uh, bringing more value to you. Uh, maybe more value than we have ever given. So very possibly. So please, yeah. And how do they sign up for this? So they can go to Roofing Business Builder and click events, sign up through Zoom, or they can click on the link, the Zoom link in the Roofing Business Builder Instagram profile and get signed up for totally free. So what concerns are stopping you from signing up for the free webinar? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, right? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, we can't wait to see everyone there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're super excited to see everyone at the webinar, present this valuable information, catch you up on the last year that we've had going on in the Roofing Business Builder program, and continue to provide value to the commercial roofing industry. Absolutely. Well, that's it for the show. And as you know, I don't always consult on roofing, but when I do, I help to make millionaires. Stay wealthy, my friends, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 